Sorry. This is Viewpoint with attorney and author Chuck Chrismeyer. Viewpoint is a one-hour talk show confronting the issues of America's heart and home. And now with today's edition of Viewpoint, here is Chuck Chrismeyer. In 1982, the Supreme Court, the United States Supreme Court, removed the Ten Commandments from our nation's schools. And now the Texas Senate has approved two bills that would require public schools to prominently Redisplay the Ten Commandments and to set aside prayer and Bible study time for students and employees. That's right. So what happened in the meantime? What happened between 1982 and 2023? Well, the Ten Commandments fell on very hard times, as did the entire Bible. In fact, one article back in 1996 in U.S. News and World Report said, Well, these are dark days for the Ten Commandments. It's just not that people go around breaking them all the time, but it's just that so few of us seem to be able to remember remember those off-broken rules and what they actually say. In 1994, a survey of 1,200 people ages 15 to 35 found that most of those polled could name no more than two of the commandments, And then when they were informed about what the other commandments said, they weren't too happy about it. Well, today on Viewpoint, we're going to take a look at what has been called God's plumb line. God's plumb line, the matter of the commandments. Yet another says, well, these actually should now be called the Ten Suggestions. Not the Ten Commandments because we don't do commandments anymore in America. We don't even follow laws let alone God's laws. So, another article, World Magazine, back in 1997, called it the Signs of the Times, said that a California school district was fighting the Ten Commandments, a sign that was put up and paid for by a businessman, and that out of fear of advocating a religion, we have stopped advocating morality. So it's about morality. It's about that which guides a people who otherwise would be lawless. That's what it's really all about anyway, isn't it? We don't like much like law. We don't like commandments. We want to do things our way. In fact, isn't that what that famous ad is all about? The colonoscopy? That's right. If you've listened to it on television, you know what it's all about. It's all about, I don't want to do it the way the doctor says. I don't want to do it the way it really makes a difference. I don't want to do it the way that it would really discover any problem that I had. No, I want to do it the easy way. I want to do it my way. Well, that seems to be the plan today in America. But if you went back to 1956 you would know that a famous movie came out called The Ten Commandments. That was when I was 11 years of age. It was narrated by Cecil B. DeMille and released by Paramount Pictures. It was filmed on location in Egypt, Mount Sinai, and the Sinai Peninsula, and it was Cecil D. DeMille's uh, most successful work and his first widescreen film, the fourth 
biblical production. The film Ten Commandments was nominated for seven Academy Awards, including Best Picture. Charlton Heston was nominated for a Golden Globe Award for Best Performance by an Actor in a Motion Picture Drama. Yul Brynner won the National Board of Review Award for Best Actor for the film. And believe it or not, The Ten Commandments was the highest grossing film of 1956 and the second most successful film of the entire decade up to 1966 when my wife and I were married. Something happened, though, after that. Initially, and interestingly, by the time of its withdrawal from distribution at the end of 1960, The Ten Commandments had overtaken Gone with the Wind at the box office in the North American Territory. Globally, the movie ultimately collected $90 million in revenues up to 1979. It remains one of the most popular films ever made. Wouldn't be very popular today, though. In fact, the whole concept of the Ten Commandments is not popular, even in God's own house. Not only did the Supreme Court take the Ten Commandments in 1982 off the schoolhouse wall and the courthouse walls, but America's churches took it off their walls as well. It just didn't play well with the American mind and heart. So today on Viewpoint, we want to take a look at God's plumb line. We want to take a look at this matter of the Ten Commandments. And... uh, Quite frankly, it might uh, might touch many of our minds and our hearts. You say, well, didn't Jesus replace the Ten Commandments? No, he didn't replace them. He was asked by a Jewish lawyer what the greatest commandment was of all of them. Of all of what? The Ten Commandments. And what did he say? He said, well, the greatest is thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. And then there's another one like it, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two hang all the law and the prophets. In other words, God's complete plumb line is summarized in those two. But as we say frequently, the devil is always in the details. Today we want to take a look at some of those details and we're going to apply God's plumb line in ways that perhaps maybe we have forgotten. So I welcome you to Viewpoint. I'm Chuck Chris Myers. Conversation is always with ever-increasing conviction, talk that transforms. And uh, today absolutely is no exception. When you find out that Target and Coles and the Girl Scouts have teamed up with the child corrupter Gilson, that is, the pusher of the homosexual agenda, you know that perhaps we are in danger of God's plumb line not meeting up. In fact, the more we support these organizations, these businesses, and so on, the more we reveal how much we are aligned with those who are against God's plumb line. You say, well, what does the Ten Commandments have to say about homosexuality or transgenderism or so on? Well, not specifically, not specifically, but when you look at how Jesus interpreted the Ten Commandments and the law, then we find out that he was not looking specifically at exactly the words 
he was looking at the full spirit of those commandments. He said, I came not to break even one of them, but to give full meaning to them. So today on Viewpoint, we're going to make that effort to bring full meaning to those commandments and the God's plumb line. And again, I'm delighted to uh, have you join us. If you have not been part of this program before, I urge you to become a partner and send your gifts by faith to Save America Ministries, P.O. Box 70879, Richmond, Virginia, 23255. I urge you to do that. Call us 1-800-SAVE-USA. Go to the website, saveus.org, because this program is supported solely by your gifts. Thou shalt not command, really? That's the headline in U.S. News and World Report in 1996. Once upon a time, children could pray and read their Bibles in school. Divorces were practically unknown, as was child abuse. In our once great America, virginity and chastity were popular virtues, and homosexuality was an abomination. So what happened in just one generation? Hi, I'm Chuck Chris Meyer, and I urge you to join me daily on Viewpoint, where we discuss the most challenging issues touching our hearts and homes. Could America's moral slide relate to the Fourth Commandment? Listen to Viewpoint on this radio station or anytime at saveus.org. The year was 1997, four years after we formed Save America Ministries, and a piece came out by Edward Grimsley called Newsflash. A church comes out against living in sin. Remember, this was 1997. He said, don't be surprised if this or that denomination soon adopts a rule requiring its ministers to believe in the divinity of Jesus Christ. It was a facetious comment made by Edward Grimsley, the columnist, to say that churches were even abandoning, at that time, belief in Jesus Christ as the Son of God. He was talking particularly about the Presbyterian Church USA, which made headlines throughout the country by coming out against sin. This they did by adopting a rule prohibiting anyone who engages in sex outside marriage from becoming a clergyman, an elder, or a deacon. Remember again, this is 1997. Advocates of the rule based it on the supposedly new quaint proposition that the church's ministers and other officers should live in obedience to the scripture, that is, the Ten Commandments. Most newspapers were so startled by this development that they treated it as major news. Even the New York Times placed the story in a prominent position on page one. And certainly the decision was big news, but most editors treated it because they perceived it to be a move to bar homosexuals from church offices. But the real reason for its profound newsworthiness is that it would apply even to heterosexual Presbyterians. And the implications of that revolutionary policy are awesome, said Edward Grimsley. Requiring church leaders to abstain from sex outside of marriage is but the foot in the door, the camel's nose under the tent. It could ignite a back-to-the-Bible movement throughout the Christian community. 
with most, if not all, denominations deciding to insist that their preachers and officers actually embrace some or all of the fundamental tenets of their religion, starting with the Ten Commandments. But don't be surprised, said the colonist, if this or that denomination soon adopts a rule requiring its ministers to believe in the divinity of Jesus Christ. Another might even insist that church officers believe in the virgin birth might even require its officers to believe that Christ actually rose from the tomb and later ascended to heaven. And some denominations might be audacious enough to insist that God is the Father, just as the Bible says, and not the Father-Mother. And heaven was the subject of a recent Time magazine cover story, the point of which was that hardly any modern mainline minister ever preaches about heaven anymore. And time... Magazine quoted a United Methodist Publishing House spokesman as calling heaven too controversial to discuss. Hmm. So instead of urging their congregations to ponder the hereafter, many mainline preachers prefer to urge them to ponder the here and now. Instead of exhorting church members to abstain from sinning against God, they prefer to exhort them to abstain from sinning against the environment. Hmm. Well, those were the words of Edward Grimsley in 1997. Somewhat facetious were they not, but telling the truth about what had happened to our country by 1997. Well, that was two years, excuse me, that was four years after the same time magazine had a cover story. The front cover of the magazine featured a cross. In the lower right-hand corner were these words, the generation that forgot God. Not the generation that was going to forget God, but the one that already had forgotten God. So ever since the Ten Commandments had come out in 1956, the succeeding generation had forgotten God. No matter how popular the movie had been, they no longer believed that God commanded anything. No, they were only suggestions if you chose to agree with them. And if you didn't choose to agree with them, well, that's okay. Can't we all just go along to get along? And that has been the spirit. Until now, when you can't just go along to get along, you have to conform. You have to conform the new demands that are contrary to the Ten Commands. Because, after all, they were mere suggestions, but we have decided to supersede them with new commandments. That's where we are today here as we talk about this subject on Viewpoint. It's no wonder that the longtime CEO of Goya Foods has been speaking out about the dire moral state of America. He proclaimed that humanity is in a spiritual war and lamented the state of our nation. This is the CEO of Goya Foods. The company head, Bob Yunanu, Yunanu, believes the nation needs an intervention. And he warned, we're going to lose this country, our morality, if something doesn't change. So the Goya Foods leader also said he believes spiritual issues are at the root of political and social crises. We're in a spiritual war, he said, but this intervention is going to take place only with the Holy Spirit. 
And he's right. So we can post the Ten Commandments and nothing will happen. Unless and until the Holy Spirit moves upon our minds and our hearts. Let me give you an illustration. In our offices, we have a a gallery wall in which are posted many beautiful, beautiful uh, framed representations of, not just representations, but the actual Word of God. For instance, the 1611, pages from the 1611 King James Version of the Bible. Huge pages. In addition to that, we have a number of other documents that are framed and posted there. It's a beautiful, beautiful display. And among them was our first president's prayer for America, George Washington. And basically what he prayed for was that our nation would, in its conformity to the word, will, and ways of God, would become a happy or felicitous people. It's a beautiful piece. And then alongside that is another beautiful piece. In fact, it's even larger. It is a framed, magnificent presentation of the Ten Commandments. Now, I can walk down that hallway, and I can see all of those things peripherally out of my vision and walk on back to where this program is uh, produced and so on, and never, ever have the Ten Commandments enter my mind. Oh, they're right there. They're right there. They're in my presence. They're in my home. But they don't necessarily make a difference. Why don't they make a difference? Because of my focus. I'm not focused on them. You see... What we focus on becomes what we actually live. Now, that doesn't mean I don't focus on them, because in reality, for me, those Ten Commandments have become so deeply ingrained in my mind and my heart that I do everything I can to live according to their spirit so that I don't have to continue to refer back to the specific words because those words are written on the tablets of my heart. And that's what Jesus had in mind, that his words and the Father's word would be written on the tablets of our hearts. The problem is that those words are not written on the tablets of most Americans' hearts today, including most Christians' hearts. They can't even name the Ten Commandments, and when they do... And they find out what the rest of them are. They don't like it at all. They don't want to obey the Ten Commandments. They say, we don't do that obedient stuff. So, as many pastors and parachurch leaders over the past five, six years have admitted on this program openly the word obey has fallen on very hard times. In fact, so hard times that it's the most hated word in the church today, which means we despise God's plumb line. We just despise it. We don't want to go there. We don't like it. We don't agree with it. 
and we're going to do it our way. We're following the colonoscopy ad on television. It's too tough. It's too hard. No, I'm just going to do it my way. Even though, as the ad tells us, the colonoscopy test is not efficacious. You can get many positive or negative results from that artificial test because it's not dependable. It's just not dependable. Oh, but I don't want to get a colonoscopy. That makes me feel bad. I just don't want to get a colonoscopy, so I'll get this little substitute that makes me feel better. The problem is that God's word, his plumb line, is not about our feelings. It's about our faith. And therein lies our problem. So even Burger King, you know, has gone on record with the same mantra, just in different words. Got to give the people what they want. Have it your way. You see, I got to be me. I got to be me. What else can I be? What, what I am? In other words, I am the final arbiter of what is right and what is wrong. What is true and what is not true. So what do you think are the echoing consequences that come from that? Would you like to take a look at the statistics of our time? The fatherlessness in our country did not just happen. It happened because we rejected the Ten Commandments. Because children were supposed to honor their parents and obey their parents. In the Lord, for this is right. In fact, it's called the first commandment with promise. That we may live long on the earth which the Lord our God gives us. But we don't much like that anymore. We don't much like that anymore. So the Decalogue, that's another name for the Ten Commandments, was dismantled. It was dismantled in Alabama. You may recall that. The fight over the Ten Commandments monument order removed from the rotunda of the Alabama Judicial Building by a federal judge. And the workers came to move the two-ton Decalogue from the display area. Judge Roy Moore stood in the way and sought to prepare and protect the Ten Commandments for his state and for our country. But even he was overruled and removed. Another said this is a tragic day for religious freedom in the First Amendment. A sad day in our country when the moral foundation of our laws and the acknowledgement of God has to be hidden from public view to appease a federal judge. A district court hearing scheduled for the afternoon in Mobile, Alabama, on a motion filed the day before by the Christian Defense Coalition to keep the monument on display had been canceled. The lawsuit asserted that the forced removal of the monument would violate the constitutional guarantee of free exercise of religion. Didn't matter to the federal judge. And so, in essence, we have removed God's plumb line from America's mind, heart, and memory. 
So how can we restore it? Well, one way we can restore it is to restore the fear of the Lord. Because if you don't restore the fear of the Lord, you have no motivation whatsoever to obey him. That's where it all begins, the fear of the Lord. And that's the context in which the Ten Commandments first came in Exodus chapter 20 at Mount Sinai. We're going to take a look at that after this upcoming break. It's quite astounding. We need to be reminded of that. But then I also want to provide to you two books which I think will help in many ways to help restore our understanding and our spirit. And neither one of them is specifically about the Ten Commandments. One is called The Secret of the Lord. The Secret of the Lord is with those who obey Him, and to them and only to those who fear Him, and only to them will He reveal His covenant. The other is Renewing the Soul of America. They're both on our website, friends. For your edification, we'll be right back. There is so much more about Chuck Chris Meyer and Save America Ministries on our website, saveus.org. For example, Under the marriage section, God has marriage on his mind. Chuck has some great resources to strengthen your marriage. First off, a fact sheet on the state of the marital union, a fact sheet on the state of ministry, marriage, and morals. SaveUS.org. Marriage, divorce, and remarriage. What does the Bible really teach about this? Find all of this at SaveUS.org. Also, A Letter to Pastors, The Hosea Project, SaveUS.org, and many more resources to strengthen your marriage. It's all on Chuck's website, SaveUS.org. Again, you can listen to Chuck's Viewpoint broadcast live and archived. Save America Ministries website at SaveUS.org. If you despise God's plumb line, you are in effect linking arms with the devil. That's really what it amounts to. You're linking arms with the devil. Now, if you despise any of those commandments, you're also linking arms with the devil to the extent that you despise or reject what God has to say about your life, my life, our lives collectively together in order to please him. And that's why it's called God's plumb line. I have with me a contractor's plumb line. It consists of a long string. Attached to the bottom is a sort of almost like a conical arrow that's a weighted piece. At the top, you have another anchoring piece. And as you anchor that piece at the top, the weight at the bottom draws that string down in an absolute vertical position. It becomes a plumb line. Now, the prophet Amos talked about God's plumb line. He did. He talked about God's plumb line, and in reality, God's plumb line, his basic plumb line is called the Decalogue or the Ten Commandments. And a plumb line actually tells a contractor absolutely vertical how to align a structure or any part of that structure so that it is absolutely in alignment with the forces of nature. 
so that your building will stand, so that it will not be topsy-turvy, so it will not look weird, so it will not lean or somehow be discordant in some way and look odd. No, it will stand vertically and it will stand strongly and all of the various parts attached to it will similarly be in a righteous mode for construction, right standing, a plumb line. So what happens when America's companies decide that the plumb line is not going to be their plumb line anymore, that money is their plumb line, or that they've adopted a contrary plumb line to that which God ordains in his word. So they're elevating their own viewpoint over the creator's viewpoint. Well, here's here's what it looks like. And we've talked about this many times, and uh, we're not going to spend a lot of time just uh, regurgitating this, but we're going to take a look at it. It's the betrayal of Target, the store, gets more horrifying the closer you look. The growing movement to boycott that retailer is justified by its sale of offensive pride items to adults as well as children. And then there's Target's partnership with an avowed Satanist designer. But at the top of the list of Target's sins is the company's proud support of one of the most radical groups existing in America today, writes Linda Harvey. Target has been a generous donor to the tune of over $2 million to the gay, lesbian, and straight education network called Gelson. And a senior brand manager at Target also serves on the Gelson board as treasurer. So with Gelson, their three-decade goal has been to insert the homosexual and gender distortion agenda into K-12 schools through a variety of actions that the word Target absolutely describes. But Target is not alone in linking arms with pawns of the devil, writes Linda Harvey. Coles now also donates to this group, and now the Girl Scouts Award a pride badge after scouts complete a number of questionable activities. And to complete the seduction of wide-eyed innocence, Girl Scouts may consult Gilson's book recommendations. So why not just send Girl Scouts directly to porn sites, she writes. So Gelson is a purveyor and promoter of pornography. Target. Coles and Girl Scouts, by promoting Gelson, are helping to distribute obscene material to children throughout the country. And, of course, Anheuser-Busch. That is doubling down now, even after having lost $30 billion or something like that, 30% at least of their their, uh, uh, value, they're still doubling down to support another uh, pride parade. Now, what is it that these are about? Let's put it very bluntly. What they're doing is thumbing their nose at the God of creation. They're saying, we know best. It's about money and not the master. Money is now our master. And besides which, we're adopting a a plan, an agenda, that is going to change everything from the original plumb line to a new plumb line. And that is the exaltation of all that is against 
God's creation ordinance. So where do we find God's creation ordinance? Well, you know, going back to Genesis chapter 1 and 2, that in the beginning God created, he created man in his image, male and female created he them, and then he ordained that they be fruitful and multiply, and said that what I have joined together in marriage, man cannot, must not put asunder. It's very simple. It's all there in Genesis chapter 1 and 2. There's nothing mistaken about it. There's nothing unclear about it. It's just very clear. So let's read just briefly what the Ten Commandments actually say in their summary form. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make unto you any graven image. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Honor your father and your mother. You shall not kill. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor, and you shall not covet. You say, well, that's fairly simple. It's, it's straightforward, but it seems like there are a whole lot of things that it doesn't actually speak to in particular. Well, that's where we need to understand what God is really saying. What was the spirit in which God said these things? A cartoon that came across my desk, and I'm not accustomed to reading cartoons, but this particular one caught my attention. It's called The Family Circus, and it was about the Ten Commandments. It says, The Gospel According to Dolly. And here are some of the so-called humorous things that these kids are saying. Jesus' helpers were the Twelve Opossums. Not the twelve apostles, but the twelve opossums. Moses got the Ten Commandments at the top of Mount Sinai, rather than Sinai. One of the commandments is, humor thy father and thy mother. Another one says, thou shalt not admit adultery. There's a whole lot more truth than poetry in those so-called funnies in a cartoon. So let's take a look at what the Ten Commandments actually say. And it begins in Exodus chapter 19. In Exodus chapter 19, God says this, If you will obey my voice, indeed, and keep my covenant, then you shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people. And you shall be unto me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And these are the words which you shall speak unto the children of Israel. So Moses came and he called for the elders of the people and laid before their faces all these words which the Lord commanded him. And all the people answered together and said, All that the Lord has spoken we will do. So Moses returned the words of the people to the Lord. In other words, what the people did was say, I do. 
they had a marriage ceremony at Sinai. This was God's marriage ceremony between God and Israel. So Moses, the Lord said to Moses, I'm coming to you in a thick cloud that the people may hear when I speak with you and believe you forever. So Moses told the words of the people unto the Lord, and the Lord said to Moses, Go to the people and sanctify them today and tomorrow, and let them wash their clothes. And be ready against the third day. For the third day the Lord will come down in the sight of all the people upon Mount Sinai. Three days, friends. Preparing for the consummation. May I suggest to you that we are nearing the third day again. And so I want to direct your attention to my latest book, Messiah. One of the last chapters is called The Third Day. I can almost guarantee you've never read anything like it. It'll grip your heart. It'll grip your soul. Because what happened at Sinai is a type of what's going to happen again. And it had to do with God coming down and giving the people his plumb line. The Ten Commandments. So the Lord said, I'm coming in a thick cloud. And he said, go to the people, sanctify them today and tomorrow, and let them wash their clothes and be ready against the third day. For the thir third day, the Lord will come down to the sight of all the people upon Mount Sinai. And you shall set bounds unto the people round about. Take heed to yourselves that you do not go up into the mount or touch the border of it. Whosoever touches the mount shall be surely put to death. In other words, God was saying, this is serious business. There shall not a hand touch it. It shall surely be stoned or shot through. And it shall not live. But when the trumpet sounds long, they shall come up to the mount. When the trumpet sounds long. Stay tuned, friends. Don't forget those words. We'll be right back. Have you ever considered what the early church was like? Many people are developing a heart longing for a greater fulfillment in our practices as Christians. A recent study showed 53,000 people a week are leaving the back door of America's churches in frustration. What is going on? Why has there not been even a 1% gain among followers of Christ in the last 25 years? Could it be that God is seeking to restore first century Christianity for the 21st century? Jesus said, I'll build my church. Is Christ by his spirit stirring to prepare the church for the 21st century? The early church prayed together and broke bread from house to house. They were family, and it was said by all who observed, behold how they love one another. Incredible. But the same can be found right now. Go to saveus.org and click Sell Church. We can revive first century Christianity for the 21st century. It's about people, not programs. It's about a body, not a building. That's saveus.org. Click Sell Church. Today we're looking at God's plumb line, the Ten Commandments, and... Uh, discovering that there's something very solemn about this 
much more solemn than most of us believe because God never did away with those commandments. Jesus said, I came not to destroy the law, but to fulfill it. And the Ten Commandments were not part of the statutes and judgments and so on that were put on the side of the ark that the Apostle Paul said were against the people. No, the Ten Commandments were put inside the Ark of the Covenant, manifesting the presence of God, looking over his moral law through the mercy seat, because God expected all people to obey it. We're not talking about the statutes and judgments and all of those other commandments, the 613 or whatever number they are. We're not talking about those. We're talking about what is called the moral law, the Ten Commandments, God's plumb line, which is his universal law for all people. Okay, so God said through Moses, the trumpet is going to sound long and the people shall come up to the mount. And Moses went down from the mount to the people and sanctified the people, and they washed their clothes. In other words, they prepared for three days. He said to the people, be ready against the third day. Come not at your wives. This was a big deal, a very big deal. God said, I want you to take this very seriously. So it came to pass on the third day in the morning that there were thunders, and lightnings, and a thick cloud upon the mount, and the voice of the trumpet exceeding loud, so that the people that was there in the camp trembled. Now, why would God do that? Because, friends, God wanted the people to know that they, that the very hope of their future was based on the fear of the Lord and keeping his commandments. At the very minimum, And so the psalmist writes, the secret of the Lord is with those who fear him. And to them and them only is he going to manifest his covenant. So why is it that the church has hated the words, the fear of the Lord so much? Why is it pastors have avoided it? Not until the last four or five years has there been a restoration of focus anywhere concerning the fear of the Lord. And it came five years after I wrote the book, The Secret of the Lord, based upon restoring the fear of the Lord in the land. So if you want to understand the spiritual, shall we say, setting of all of that, you will get a hold of the book, The Secret of the Lord. It's a $20 book, hardbound, right there on our website, saveus.org. It's yours for $15. The Secret of the Lord. It'll open your it'll open your eyes, open your heart. You'll you'll begin to realize that there isn't a single promise that God has ever made that isn't first predicated on the fear of the Lord, including salvation itself. Now that having been said, we move forward. And it came to pass on the third day of the morning that there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud upon the mount, and the voice of the trumpet exceedingly loud, so that all the people that was in the camp trembled. And Moses brought forth the people out of the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the far part of the mount. 
and Sinai was altogether on a smoke, because the Lord descended upon it in fire, and the smoke thereof ascended as the smoke of a furnace, and the whole mount quaked greatly. And when the voice of the trumpet sounded long, and waxed louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him by a voice. And the Lord came down upon Mount Sinai at the top of the mount, and the Lord called Moses up to the top of the mount, and Moses went up. But the people could not go up. Then we know that as Moses was up there, the people themselves violated the Ten Commandments. So God says, in chapter 20, gives the Ten Commandments. He wrote them with his own finger in stone. Moses did not write them. God wrote them. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. You shall not make unto you any graven image. You shall not bow down yourself or serve them, for the Lord your God is a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generations of them that hate me, showing mercy unto thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. Notice God's mercy is extended only to those who fear him and keep his commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold you guiltless for taking his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day, not the first day, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that in them is, and rest of the seventh day, wherefore the Lord blessed the seventh day, the Sabbath day, and hallowed it. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long upon the land which the Lord your God gives you. You shall not kill. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal, and you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor, neither shall you covet your neighbor's house, your neighbor's wife, nor his manservant, nor his maidservant, nor his ox, nor his ass, or anything that is your neighbor's. And all the people saw the thunderings and the lightnings and the noise of the trumpet, the mountain smoking. And they said to Moses, speak with us and we will hear, but let not God speak with us lest we die. And Moses said to the people, fear not, for God is come to prove you that his fear may be before your faces that you sin not. Notice the purpose of the fear of the Lord is to keep you from sinning. It's not a, man, a, a bad thing. It's a good thing. It's the beginning of wisdom. It's not the end of the story. It's the beginning of the story. You lose the fear of the Lord, and you lose the end of the story. Now, isn't it interesting that the Apostle Paul tells us about the end of the age? He says, the trumpet shall sound, the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trump. Note, notice, the trumpet sounded at Sinai, 
the mount was on fire, God appeared to the people, and the place shook. Now, would you be surprised to know that that is repeated in the book of Hebrews in the New Testament? Here's what the Apostle Paul writes in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 25, as following. See that you refuse not him that speaks, for if they escape not who refused him that spoke on earth at Sinai, much more shall not we escape if we turn away from him that speaks from heaven, whose voice then at Sinai shook the earth, but now he has promised, saying, Yet once more I shake not the earth only, but also the heavens. That those things which cannot be shaken may remain. Wherefore, we, that's you and me, professing believers, receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved, let us have grace, enabling power, whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear, for our God is a consuming fire. That's the God we don't want to know, isn't it? But that is the God of the Bible. And the reason we don't want to know that God is the same reason the people in the colonoscopy ad say, you know what, I don't much like. I don't much want to get the colonoscopy. No, I'd rather do it my way. I would rather take the easy way out. I would rather pretend to deal with it and take this little test that is not determinative of anything, which the ad admits, because it can produce false positives, false negatives. It doesn't prove anything, in other words. It's a pretense. It makes you feel like the real thing with actually, without actually doing it. And so the refrain comes clear from Frank Sinatra, I did it my way. Here's my question for you today. When you consider the Ten Commandments, when you consider God's moral law, when you consider the fact that he said, thou shalt not commit adultery, for instance, and yet adultery has become normative, so normative in America that in 1997, U.S. News and World Report refused, uh, had Christian leaders who refused to contribute to an article dealing with promiscuity and premarital sex. Refused to. Why? Because their constituencies were all engaged in it. Adultery and premarital sex had become so normative that it was a social Rebellion against God's plumb line. And then the Apostle Paul writes, which nobody wants to read, 
Everybody wants to listen to the Apostle Paul except regarding divorce and remarriage. He says, a man is bound to a, a wife as long as she lives. A wife is bound to her husband as long as he lives. But if he be dead, then and only then is he free to remarry. And then only in the Lord. In other words, there's no exception clause once you've been married and somebody's become unfaithful. No, he says, in that case, you either forgive and be reconciled, or if you do divorce, you remain single. Because, he said in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, don't be deceived, neither fornicators nor adulterers nor practicing homosexuals and so on, are going to inherit the kingdom of God. You say, well, why do you pick that one out of these Ten Commandments? Because, friends, that's the one that is most commonly broken with impunity among professing Christians. And unless and until we come to grips with that one, with honesty and integrity of heart, we're wasting our time to talk about this country returning to God. We just don't agree with him. We have rejected his plumb line. Our feelings now have become Lord. And yet we're on the near edge of the second coming. And we're supposed to be purifying our garments because Christ is not coming back for a bride with spot, wrinkle, or any such thing. Are you beginning to see the greater picture here? This is not just about the Ten Commandments in the Old Testament. This is about God and his governance, his plumb line, his calling for righteousness and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. Is there anything in your life Anything in your mind and heart that's got your back up over any of these things? Talk to the Lord about it. Thanks for joining us. Become a partner. Send your gifts by faith to Save America Ministries. Get a copy of the book, Renewing the Soul of America. The book, uh, The Secret of the Lord. They'll help you greatly with regard to these issues and the restoration of our country. You've been listening to Viewpoint with Chuck Grissmeyer. Viewpoint is supported by the faithful gifts of our listeners. Let me urge you to become a partner with Chuck as a voice to the church declaring vision for the nation. Join us again next time on Viewpoint as we confront the issues of America's heart and home.